Okay, we are in Joshua 10. Uh, it, uh, we get into some historical stuff about the nation of Israel that moved into the, into the promised land and, and started to take over uh, areas. Um, and it can be read that way. This is what they did. And, um, and there's certainly value to that and just understanding the history of the movement into the promised land. Um, but we can, we're, we're also going to try to read it in a way that is uh, devotional and theological and doctrinal and edifying. Um, so if you if you if you read in advance of Joshua ten, uh, you might be thinking, and it, it goes on in eleven and twelve as well. You might be thinking, what? Well, sure, hope he doesn't spend an hour on this. <laughs> but uh, and I don't know that I will spend that much time. But we will we'll look at because I think there's some great stuff here. Uh, so let me just read, and we'll just we'll 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 talk about it as we go. Uh, now this is coming off of chapter nine. The Gibeon deception, where the Gibeonites, who was a, a, a foreign people in the land, came to Joshua and the Israelites and said, We've come from a really long way. We're exhausted. We're worn out. Please make a treaty of us. We've heard what you've done to these other, you know, uh, uh, Jericho and Ai. Like, we, we don't want to fall victim to your massive army and your God. So make a treaty with us. Uh, and, 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 and so Joshua did without consulting the Lord made a treaty with them, and it was all aroused. I mean, they, weren't, they didn't come from very far. They were neighbors, and they just they wanted to put themselves under the protection of the Israelites because nobody could stand in face of the Israelites. And so they, they're coming out of that. The story's coming out of that deception as Israel keeps moving into the land. And so that's where we pick up chapter 10. Now, Adonai Zedek... Interestingly, that that, name, that, that means um, the Lord of Righteousness. Adonai is Lord, and Zedek is Hebrew for right. Anyway, the Lord of Righteousness. Um, King of Jerusalem heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and were living near them. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Param, king of uh, Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. So, Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem, saw what was going on. And he thinks, we, don't, we, 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 we see that, that Gibeon has made a treaty with Israel, with the Israelites. Uh, and so he goes to this confederate, tries to make this confederation of kings to band together to attack the Gibeonites so that the Gibeonites won't marshal their troops and with or on behalf of, of the Israelites attack the confederation of five kings and, and take over their land. Interesting, and, and we'll talk about this in a moment uh, as we get further down into chapter 10. The men of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and were living near them. So we're reminded 
that Israel and Gibeon made a treaty with each other. What, what was the problem? What's the problem with that? The fact that Israel made a treaty with, with Gibeon. They, they didn't consult God. That, that was, yeah, they did it without the consultation of God. Was there any other problem other than that? Made under false pretenses. The, the, the Gibeonites made it under false pretenses. Brandon got it. They were instructed not to. You go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Uh, and Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, verse 2. When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess, uh, to, to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, that's what we're talking about here, the Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven na- nations larger and stronger than you. Verse 2. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them. So the problem is the Israelites have made a treaty after God explicitly said, don't do that. But they did anyway. Um, Have you ever forgotten what God said? (laughs) And done something stupid? Or have you ever remembered what God said and still did something stupid? <laughs> Usually that doesn't go well, right? Um, and so the Bible reminds us here they made a treaty and kind of hints to the fact that, remember, they shouldn't have done that. Uh, and so now this confederation of five kings is banding together. And if they attack the Gibeonites, because now the Gibeonites have come under the protection of Israel, what's that mean for Israel? They have to fight. Yeah, they've they got to defend them. We signed a treaty. We agreed to enter into this, this relationship with you. And so, so Israel's bringing a lot of problems on themselves. Verse 5, Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, uh, Jeremoth, Lachish, and Eglon joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. So one of the fears of the confederation of five kings was that the Gibeonites was a pretty strong uh, fighting force in itself. Uh, the Bible says that in verse 2 that all of its men were good fighters. One commentator has said this, that the fact that they mentioned they're good fighters, historically we know that, that these men of Gibeon were trained uh, military and mercenary fighters. They knew what they were doing. They were wealthy, and because they were trained and wealthy, they had the means to procure and produce armaments for war. They had... Uh, the means to purchase um, fighting men to come alongside them. And one person said they had the time for such activities. (laughs) Like this is what they did. And there's a play on words of the Gibeonites. There's a Hebrew play on words. It's not just the people of Gibeon, but it literally means good fighters. And so these guys were bad dudes. 
coming from a big city that was wealthy, that were trained. There's no wonder that the, the Confederation of Five was worried about them and thought, let's band together so we can subdue them because we don't need those forces added to Israel. If they side with Israel and attack us, we're doomed. So, so there's, there's, it's not a surprise that they joined forces and they moved up. Verse 5, with all their troops took position against Gibeon and attacked it. Verse 6, the Gibeonites sent word to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal. Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. And so they, of course, marshal the, 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 uh, the agreements of the treaty. We're not going to hurt you. You're not going to hurt us. We're going to come under your protection. So now these are moving against us. So Israel, we're, we're, we're pleading with you. Do what you said you would do and come fight for us. So pretty easy to understand what's going on so far, right? Okay. So verse 7. Uh, so Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The fact that it says, verse 7, they marched up from Gilgal with the entire army. It was about a 3,300-foot climb in elevation that they had to take this army up. So they're climbing up this mountain. Um, verse 8, the Lord said to Joshua... Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Now, I want to draw two, thi- draw two things from, this, um, from this, this little, that little verse. The Lord said to them, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. If you go back to Numbers 27, verse 21... You know, it, 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 I'm sure that, you know, when some people read the Bible and it says the Lord told them this, if you're a Bible person, you probably think, oh, I wish God would tell me something like that. That'd be great. And um, it's not necessarily uh, just like today that they hear this audible voice of, you know, speaking in their language, do this, this, and that. Um, Numbers 27, 21 um, it, 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 he is to stand before Eleazar the priest who will have detained, uh, obtain decisions for him by inquiring of what? Of the Urim before the Lord. So back in the day, there was the Urim and the Thummim. Uh, and they were two articles that the priest would have or the, the, the man of God would have to be able to, to use to discern yes or no, this or that. Um, and it's really like rolling the dice. Uh, and they would use that as ask of the Lord, we'll cast the Urim and Thummim and we'll discern by how they roll and where they land on what God's direction is. And this is how God worked all through the Old Testament. This was his way of directing guiding the people. So it, it's likely that Joshua went before the Lord and said, should we go? Will you give them over into our hand like you did with Jericho and Ai? And they cast the Urim and Thummim and the result comes up. Yeah, go ahead and do that. This was a normal way. Of, this was how God set it up to communicate oftentimes when it wasn't directly through his presence at the tabernacle for his people to discern God's will. This is all done all through the all through the Old Testament. Do any of you know when the last place 
cast, this is what's called casting lots. That's what this is. When's the last place in the Bible casting lots was used? Does anybody know? Nope. It may have been used there, but that's not the last place. Right? So after Judas hung himself, the disciples get together and they say, we must choose one to take his place. Uh, And so they cast lots. And the lots fall on Matthias. And so they, they get a new disciple named Matthias because casting lots determined it to be him. That's the last we ever heard of Matthias. We, we never hear another word of him. And he's never listed in the list of the 12 disciples. The Bible will either list 11 and leave Judas out or it will list Judas. We never read of Matthias. What we do read of the apostle who was chosen by God, not by man, is Paul, not Matthias. As Paul says, I was chosen by God, not by man. And the lots, casting lots into Urim and Thummim did not choose Paul. God did. There's, there's, there's something to be said of this. Casting lots and the um and thumim and all these little tricks to discern God's will became null and void once the ascension happened and the Holy Spirit descended. Because now we don't need tricks and we don't need processes and we don't need to ask anybody else or anything else but the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one. God is the one. Who picked Paul and spoke to Paul. It wasn't by rolling the dice. Okay. This is for us. There's no tricks anymore. To hearing God. There's there's no mechanisms that we have to use. To have direction directly from God. And we don't go to anybody else to determine. to, to, To hear God's voice. We go directly to our mediator, Christ, the presence and the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. You understand? And so many of us want to know, how do I know? How do I hear? How do I, how do I discern? The Holy Spirit in you in, through God's written word, it's all here. This is why we were talking on Sunday that this whole idea of compounding interest. (laughs) Because most of the time we take this and we put it here, we take this and put it here. We do that day after day after day for weeks and months on end. It doesn't do anything, it feels like. No earth-shattering revelation from God just because we open the Bible and read it. But because we open the Bible and read it, that voice starts to speak and we don't recognize it at first. But the more we do it, the more it starts to live inside. And I can begin to hear and discern his word because I've put it in. And there's no tricks and there's no secret about it. It's the Holy Spirit in you with this word that's alive and active. So we don't need that. Back then they need a little bit of trick. They need some help doing that. After the Holy Spirit, we don't. we got God himself. 
So and I wanted to draw that out. The Lord said how probably through that. But what did God say? He said, do not be afraid of them. I've given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to, stand, to withstand you. Now, God steps in uh, and intervenes for them. Because God is always true to his word. So in, in, in Deuteronomy 7.2, God said, don't make a treaty with them. What do they do? They made a treaty with them. And even though they made a treaty with them, even though they disobeyed, um, God said, well, you know what, you knucklehead? I'm still God. Let, let, let me just go, to, go down to verse 10, and then I'm going I'm to show you something. Uh, do not be afraid of them. I've given them into your hand. No one, not one of them will, withstand, uh, will, will be able to withstand you. Verse 9, after an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. So all night long, they, they, they climb up a mountain, 3,300 feet in elevation. It's about 20 miles. So they're going 3,300 feet with the 20 miles. Takes them about 10 hours to do this whole thing all during the night. And they catch him by surprise. Verse 10, the Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. So they, they surprise attack them after this brutal march. They're exhausted, obviously. I mean, they're walking 20 miles in full battle arraignment, 20 miles up 3,300 feet elevation, 10 hours they're, they're, they're walking by surprise. And God threw the people into confusion so Israel defeated them all now yes they were God's people yes God had said I'm going to help you because you're my people and yes they were incredibly disobedient but God still came through God still rescued them why you're not supposed to make a treaty we did because he loves them yeah because God has a beautiful way um, of turning blunders into blessings he has a beautiful way of turning blunders into blessings. They tripped up bad when they made this treaty. It was a direct violation of, to what God said to do. They did not consult God. I asked earlier, how many of us have forgotten what God said and done something stupid? And then how many of us have remembered what God said and still done something stupid? And God has a beautiful way because of his mercy and grace, of course, with repentance... And coming back in line and listening to his voice of turning our blunders into blessings. God still intervened. God still did it. And God's going to deliver them in a miraculous way so that they cannot claim that they did it themselves. It'll be obvious that it was God's hand was still with them. So here's the thing. Don't count yourself out just because you blundered. And don't count out anybody who has blundered even knowingly so. Because God is a God who turns blunders into blessings. You got it? All through Scripture, and we'll see it again on Sunday, we go through John 1 still, that some people know us and identify us um, by who we currently are. God sees us who... He wants to make us. And even worse, 
then some people see us who we are currently. Some people see us who we used to be. And God says, um, your history is not greater than your destiny. I got a greater call on your life than the blunder of your past. And I'm so good that I'll take your blunders and I'll show up and, and I'll make an incredible blessing out of them. That's just what he does. And so God threw him into confusion, defeated him, great victory at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Mecca. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky. And more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. So God starts stoning them. So nobody could claim, look how great we are. God said, no, no, no. You guys got a lot going on for you. But I'm the one doing it. Do you know why God hurled hailstones from them? Now, that word hailstone can either be literal hail. I mean, in this case, all hail broke loose, you know. And, or it could be literally uh, uh, meteoric rocks, like rocks coming down. So but anyway, you know why God stoned them? This isn't a joke. This is a real question. <laughs> I know, huh? <laughs> a Jew, I rabbi, and a priest walk into a bar. <laughs> oh, my head. No. Um, Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy 13, verses 2 and verse 10. Deuteronomy 13, the command is, don't follow other gods. So it's idolatry. Don't, 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 don't give yourself to idolatry. Um, verse 10, the one who gives themselves to idolatry, the punishment, stoning. So the one who chases after false gods, this was the Canaanites. They worship the gods of nature. The one who follows after false gods, the punishment from God is stoning. And so all these people who worshiped at the altar of nature, God fulfilled the punishment. Stoning. It didn't come in the hands of the Israelites. It came out of the hands of God himself. And it had to have been so um, horrific for these Canaanites for these conglomeration of five because they worshipped nature and the gods of nature and it seemed to them as if those own, their own gods were turning on them because nature was destroying them more than the sword and so then the, the, this it, 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 chapter 10 goes on on the day the Lord uh, gave the Amorites over to Israel Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel and then there's this really weird passage O sun, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. As it is written in the book of Jasher. So, like, what is this about? Um, there's a pastor named Stephen Furtick who's made a million plus dollars off of a, a message series called Sun Stand Still. Um... 
And this is one of those things that we could make say a lot of things that maybe it doesn't really say about asking God to make the sun stand still for us. And we have that much power to command, you know, and, and it worked well for Furtick. But, um, um, I mean, just in, in, if this is a literal thing, and I'm not saying it's not, but what happens to all the tides uh, and the orbits of the universe? I mean, God could, make, God could just like freeze everything if you want to do that. Um, um, there are some who um, don't believe Scripture, who want to find every reason not to believe it, who say that why would Joshua pray that the sun stands still because we all know now that the sun doesn't orbit around us. We orbit around the sun, so the sun's not moving anyway, so why would the sun have to stand still? That's fine. I mean, we all know that the earth rolls about the sun, right? But we still talk about the sun rise, and we know the sun doesn't rise. So I don't have a problem with him saying the sun, you know, sun, moon, stand still, stay still. I don't know. The Bible says, so the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies as it is written in the book of Jasher. Like what? Did the sun really stop? Did the, is, there, is there a day missing in, uh, in, in history, uh, in, in all cultures ever? Because this would have been, this would have affected the entire world if, the, if it really just stopped. Um, maybe it did. We, 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 we certainly don't have any proof that, that there truly is a missing day all over the world. The same missing day all over the world, necessarily. But um, it could be uh, the fact that it, that it lists, as is written in the book of Jashar, we don't have that book. We, we, we're not exactly sure what that is. It is it's, the book of Jashar is, is missing from human history. It's mentioned one other time in Scripture, 2 Samuel 1, verse 18. So it's mentioned a couple times in Scripture, but we don't have the book of Jashar. Most people think that the book of Jashar is, are poems that were written primarily about the victories of Israel. Poetic language about the victories of Israel. Uh, and so... so um, but we just don't know. The Bible, the, the scripture goes on and says, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There's never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Some people say that, that it absolutely, the, the sun stopped, like everything stopped. Like, it, like word for word, literal, everything's the sun, the moon, the orbit, like whatever. God held the, the, the waters at bay, you know. I mean, think about every, the cataclysmic event that would happen. If the earth stopped its rotation around the sun for, or, or around its, its own axis for it, like, I mean, it would just be, but God's that powerful. He can do whatever he wants. So it, it could have been, but it could have been this too. How... How long had the army been marching? All night. All night. For how, how many hours? hours? About at least 10 hours. And they had climbed 3,300 feet in elevation. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're obviously, they're, they're, like, it's a surprise attack. Um, the, the, it's, it's excruciatingly tiring enough to fight hand-to-hand combat. 
after that type. It could have been, this is just, just some of the thoughts, that what God did in making the sun stand still and the moon stop in its place was as they attack in the morning, uh, prevent the sun from shining so bright that it dispels the mist. So the mist is still there, which keeps it cooler so they can keep fighting all day. So sun, just stand still. Don't do what you normally do right now. Keep the mist there. Keep our cover there. Keep it cool enough for us. We don't want to fight in the middle of the day. Like God moved, moved whatever he had to move so it would be as if the sun just didn't, didn't, didn't rise up in its full heat so we could keep fighting. Again, poetic language in the book of Jashar talking about the victories of the military victories of Israel. Uh, it, it, it could have been that, that maybe the sun standing still was so that it wouldn't be as bright as noonday because it would have ruined the surprise attack. We, we just don't know. But we do know that there's never been a day like it before or since. <clears throat> and and, and what, what makes it a unique day is not, according to Scripture, not a, that the sun may or may not have stood still, but what makes it a day like no other day? The fact that what? God listened to a man. Yeah. And again, he just adds this. When the Lord listened to a man, surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Now, had God listened to a man before? Well, absolutely he did. When Abraham was saying, hey, would you destroy that nation if there were 50 righteous people in it? And God's like, oh, okay, no, not for 50. Well, how about 40? All right, not for 40. Well, how about, you know, whittles them all the way down to what, five? You know? So it seems like God listened before. But again, a poetic way of saying, listen, this, this Joshua guy, he... He's right up there with Moses. It, somehow, Joshua's prayers were, were unusually effective. Unusually effective. Whether the sun actually stood still, amazing. Whether God positioned the sun in a way that didn't burn off the mist, in a way that, that kept it cool, in a way that... I mean, I mean, the fact is, the battle was won before that ever happened anyway because of all the hailstones. Amazing. And so God is continuing to set Joshua up as, listen, he is my guy. And even with the blunders, he's my guy, I'm his God, and I am more faithful to him than he is to me, which is the same thing that he would say to every one of us. Um, and then verse 15, then Joshua returned with all of Israel to the camp at Gilgal. Now, it seems as though the battle's, oh, like the, the conquest is done right there, right? Verse 15 is out of place because, okay, now he just returns to the camp. But then the problem is we have verses, jeez, 16 to 43. And verse 16 says, Now the five kings had fled and hidden in the cave at Mecca. Well, I thought we were done with this battle already. And so what we think is that verse 15 is a synopsis of the battle's result, but the details of the battle are still from 16 through 27. And so, so, so what we just read is, is the big picture of what happened. And then here's 
more details of it that happened during. Because it's highly unlikely in a military campaign that we would do all this battle and then go back to camp and then later come back to, to more of it. So here's some of the details. Verse 16, Now the five kings had fled and hid in the cave at Mecca. When Joshua was told that the five kings had been found hiding in the cave at Mecca, he said, Roll large rocks up to the mouth of the cave and post some men there to guard it. But don't stop. Pursue your enemies, attack them from the rear, and don't let them reach their cities, for the Lord your God has given them into your hands. Um. Great military leadership, right? To run away from the troops and hide in a cave and say, good luck, chaps. <laughs> you know. So Joshua and the Israelites destroyed them completely, almost to a man. But the few who were left reached their fortified cities. Verse 21, uh, the whole army then returned safely to Joshua in the camp at Mecca, and no one uttered a word against the Israelites. Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring those uh, five kings out to me. So they brought the five kings out of the cave, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon. When they had brought these kings to Joshua, he summoned all the men of Israel. And that doesn't necessarily mean every male in the nation, but certainly the leaders of the groups of the clans of the tribes and the armies. Uh, um, uh, and said to the army commanders who had come with him, Come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came forward and placed their feet on their necks. Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. Where is that from? Joshua 1, 8, 9. Yeah. It's the exact words God told Joshua. Don't be afraid. Be courageous here. Um, this is what the Lord will do to all the enemies who are, uh, you are going to fight. Then Joshua struck and killed the kings and hung them on five trees, and they were left hanging on the trees until evening. Just as a military leader, I love Joshua's uh, ability to lead. Because what he's doing here is not only cutting off the head of these five uh, little kingdoms, what he's doing is giving his military people uh, a, a vivid memory that they will never forget that they're untouchable. He says, th this, is what, um, this is what the Lord will do to all the enemies who are going to fight. So he's telling them, there's going to be more. We're going to go into battle. You're probably going to be scared because war is hell, right? But have courage. Because when we go into battle, the, the victory is already done. And then he lops off their heads. That's a pretty vivid <coughs> memory that you're going to carry with you. But he's a brilliant, brilliant leader. He's addressing their, he's addressing their future and telling them there's a lot more wars to fight. He's addressing their fear and says, don't be afraid. And he's giving them faith. This is what's going to happen. Awesome leadership. Uh, at sunset, Joshua gave the order, and they took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had been hiding. At the mouth of the cave, they placed large rocks, which are there to this day. That day, Joshua took Mecca. He put the city and his king to the sword and totally destroyed everyone in it. He left no survivors, and he did to the king of Mecca as he had done to the king of Jericho. And then the rest of the chapter is, is about the, the, for the conquest of the southern, southern cities. 
And so let me just go down. Let me go through this. There's, there's one more point that we need to make. But verse 29, just so that we're reading it. Then Joshua and all Israel with them moved on from Mecca to Libna and attacked it. The Lord also gave that city and its king into Israel's hand. The city and everyone in it Joshua put to the sword. He left no survivors there, and he did to its king what he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and all Israel moved uh, with him moved uh, on from Libna to Lachish. He took up positions against it and attacked it. The Lord handed Lachish over to Israel, and Joshua took it. On the second day, the city and everyone in it he put to the sword, just as he had done to Libna. Meanwhile, Horam, king of Gezer, had come up to help Lachish, but Joshua defeated him and his army until no survivors were left. Then Joshua and all Israel with him moved on from Lachish to Eglon. He's going through the Confederation of Five. They took a position against it and attacked it. They captured it that same day and put it to the sword and totally destroyed everyone in it, just as they had done to Lachish. Then Joshua and all Israel with him went up to Eglon, uh, from Eglon to Hebron and attacked it. They took the city and put it to the sword together with its king, its villages, and everyone in it. They left no survivors, just as Eglon, uh, just uh, as at Eglon, they totally destroyed it and everyone in it. Then Joshua and all Israel with him turned around and attacked Debir. They took the city and it, uh, they took the city, its king, and its villages, and put them to the sword. Everyone in it they totally destroyed. They left no survivors. They did to Debir and its king as they had done to Libna and its king and to Hebron. Gee, that's a lot of that's a lot of battle. So Joshua subdued the whole region, including all the hill country, the Negev, the western foothills, the, and the mountain slopes, together with all uh, with all their kings. He left no survivors. He totally destroyed all who breathed, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. Okay, verse forty-one and forty-two. Joshua subdued them from Kadesh Barnea to Gaza, and from the whole region of Goshen to Gibeon. So. He, he's, he's moved through, and he has completely wiped out, as God had commanded them to do before he took over leadership under Mo, when, when Moses was still leading way back um, before he even started the conquest. They learned their lesson at AI. They completely destroyed everything, and they've moved through the whole southern um, portion through all those kingdoms. Verse 42. All these kings and their lands, Joshua conquered in one campaign, because why? The Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. Um, then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. He did all of that, was victorious, because the Lord... Fought for. Does anybody, any of you know what Zechariah four six says? You do. You just don't know the address. Fill in the blank. Not by might, not by power. nor by power, by but by my spirit, says the Lord. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Not by might. That means my own strength nor by power, nor my strategy, not by my own volition, not by my own prowess, <clears throat> not by my own ability, not by my own capability, not, not even because of my culpability, not because of any other thing. Are we victorious in the battles that we engage in on behalf of God? Simply by the Spirit of God. 
not by my power, not my might, nor my power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. When we started this, we, we, we talked about how we access the voice, the presence, and the power of God. And we talked about how it, it wasn't by tricks, it wasn't by methods, it wasn't by formulas, it wasn't by systems. Why? Because we have something resident in us. The Holy Spirit. Not by might, not by power, not by your ability, not by your power, not by your systems, not by your tricks, not by your methodologies, not by your plans. God, this is what I'm coming up against. This is my concern. This is the need. This is the... Well, that's fine. You got everything within you that you need. Because you have... What? You have my spirit. You have my spirit. And it's by the spirit of God, resident within his people, that he turns blunders to blessings. Because if it were up to our might and power and cunning and strategy, it'd be one blunder after another blunder. Right? And he knows that. And that's why he says, don't rely on your stuff. Because your stuff's going to get you in trouble. I got what you need. Stay close to me. And I will turn your blunders into blessings. And I will fight for you as long as you're fighting my battles and not yours. Right? Yeah. So Joshua 10. Good? Just a side thing. Mm-hmm. I've always wondered, they slaughter hundreds of thousands of people in two days. What happens to all those bodies? You know, that's, that's a good question, Johnny. There is some debate if this was on the first day, the second day, the third day, 24 hour periods, because that's a lot of war to happen. And then you got to travel to the next city. Uh, and so um, th- th- there, there's, there's a lot of debate into, into the schedule of these battles um, and, and how long this actually took uh, to, to do the, the battle, to, to fight, and then to travel to the next one as they're mustering their forces to do that as well. And, and again, some of that could be a little bit up of the first day, the second day, well, the first battle, second battle. But yeah, there's a, that's a lot of, that's a lot of carnage. A lot of stink. It's a lot of <laughs> carnage. A lot of carnage. And I'll leave it to you to decide if, that, if it actually stood still for 24 hours or if there was some other way to understand it. Um, I think it's, it's amazing and fascinating either way. Um, and there, there is some archaeological proof about missing hours, certainly. Um, but uh, I walk away from stuff like that and go, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, really, how it all went down. Um, and I guess that's good because if I understood exactly how God did everything, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be amazed at him. So, anyway.